Okay, guys, we're in uh, 1 John chapter 3. We're going to kind of finish up this chapter, chapter 3 today. We're going to look at the whole issue of love, loving each other and the command to love each other. And really going to look at the seriousness of the command to love each other. Because I'll be honest with you, this is a concept that we all know, we all read it in the Scripture, but it's a concept which we... We almost kind of have a take it or leave it attitude about it in the scripture, especially when we interact with each other and we rub each other wrong and that happens. Does everybody understand that that happens? We're human beings. We're going to torque each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to, we're going to do things that upset each other. The question is, is what we do with that? And, John specifically, the apostle, is going to talk about the issue of loving one another. And if you don't love one another, if you've got an issue and you're holding grudges and stuff, what that might reflect in your life. Because what he's going to show is, from the passage that we're talking today, is that the issue of loving one another, especially loving the brethren, that's other believers, is a sign of your salvation an evidence of your salvation. And the lack of that evidence is something else. Now, he's pretty brutal, as he always is, but he also gives an affirmation here in the midst of what he's talking about. So look with me. We're going to look, first of all, at verses 11 through 15. We're going to talk about the issue of hating your brother. Okay? Hating your brother. Look at 11 through 15. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, so let's first of all talk about the message. The message. John proclaims the message that we should love one another. So he's again, he's proclaiming this message that you and I should love one another. All right, so this is the message. Now, he's going to make a point about this message here. He states that the message, that this is the message that they've heard from the beginning. From the very beginning of your salvation, you've heard this message, or you should have heard this message. If you didn't, there was something lacking in the Christianity or in the church that you were in, and that is that you should love one another. Why is that important that you do it? Because that's what Jesus said. A new commandment I give unto you that you what? Love one another. Jesus said this too, by this shall you know that they are, that you are my disciples, that you what? Love one another. I mean, so it's very, it was very important to Jesus, it's a commandment he gave us to do, and basically he said it's by this that the others are going to know that we are his followers, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you love one another. So this is the message that you should have heard from the beginning, the beginning of when? From the time that you became a believer in Christ a follower of Jesus Christ. From the beginning, you should have known this message, this command. Now, here's the thing. It's a command. 
You want to write that down on your paper at the top. It is a command. Now, with a command, is it optional? That's my question to you. With a command, is it an option? No. Okay, like for instance, like I have teenagers, some of you have had teenagers, some of you, your teenagers have grown on and you're thankful now, you're through the teenager years, okay? Here, here's the reality. Have, have you ever given a command to your teenager and they thought it was an optional thing? What you told them to do, like take the garbage out. And when you come home later, the garbage wasn't taken out. And you said, I told you to take the garbage out. And they viewed your command as an optional thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It doesn't have to be the garbage. could be something else. Now, can I ask you a question? Is it an option to you when you tell them to do something? No, because it's a what? Command. You told them to do it. So I, I guess what I'm, with my illustration, I'm wanting to understand the attitude of God. God's attitude is, is that when he gives us command, it's not an option. We are commanded to love one another. Okay? We're commanded to love one another. So I, 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 I always remember this story. It's like, for instance, husbands, we're commanded to what? Love our wives. And I, the late Adrian Rogers, how, how many of you know who Adrian Rogers is? He used to be a preacher on the radio and stuff. Adrian Rogers, when he was alive, told this story, and I thought this was a pretty powerful story. He talked about this couple who was coming to him, and, you know, they're going, getting ready to go through a divorce, and the husband says to him, well, I don't love her anymore. And Adrian Rogers said, tough. It's not an option. You're told to love her. It's a command. Love your wife. And if you don't love her, who are you loving? That's really the issue. You know what I'm saying? If there's somebody else, who are you loving? you got, you got to love her. And I thought, boy, that's a very powerful illustration. It's not an option to us. you got to love Jesus. you got to love each other, okay? So here's what he's saying. He stated, now, here's the negative example. Here's what he's, he's going to contrast what we should be doing with what we should not be doing. And so here's what he's going to say to us. Here, don't follow this example. Here's the negative example. They are not to follow the example of Cain. Now, does everybody know who Cain is? According to the Bible, he's the third human being to ever exist. He is the offspring of Adam and Eve. He is the oldest son they had. And we're not to follow the example of Cain. Now, does everybody understand about Cain? Here's the example of Cain. Cain was by nature wicked and murdered his brother, Abel. Remember Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel? He murdered his brother, and he was by nature wicked, okay? In his heart, he was wicked. Now, John goes one step further here and tells us exactly why he murdered him. Look at what it says there in verse 12. Because his works were evil... And his brothers, righteous. Now here's the issue. The source of this hatred was a comparison between himself and his brother. 
You know, I find this happens a lot. I see it like, okay, you know, I've got teenagers, so I, you know, we interact with our teenagers' friends, and we know what's going on in their lives, and we see different things. I see it in teenagers. I see it in adults. Oftentimes, attitudes will be developed for nothing more than comparison. Do you understand what I'm saying? We put down others because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Or we hate someone else because they have and we don't have. Do you know what I mean? Or we compare what they're doing with us and we don't like the difference. Now, what's going on here is is that John's making the point that in the comparison here, it had to do with that Abel's what? Works were righteous and Cain's were what? Wicked. Comparison. Oftentimes, the attitudes of hatred can come from, are you ready for this, from our comparing ourselves with others. I may know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. Where, you know, I'm not talking about necessarily about yourself, although you should examine yourself. Who are you angry with? Why are you angry? Is it a comparison issue? But oftentimes, you will see people like, you know, it's very common to me. I'll talk about teenagers for a moment. Uh, you know, I'll hear about so-and-so's got an attitude to so-and-so. Well, why? Why do they got an attitude? Well, it's because of the family she's from. And they have something. Really? That's silly. And we think of that and we say, that's silly. But then you take a step back and you realize that's humanity, isn't it? Okay? And people know how to manipulate that, right? What do you mean? Well, every time an election comes around, guess what they're trying to manipulate in people? The hatred issue. How? By talking about people who have versus people who don't have. Listen to the political rhetoric. And what does that elicit in people? Anger. Do you understand? Because they have, and I should have that, blah, blah, blah. Do you understand? What John's saying here is that the issue of hatred here, the source of it is the comparison thing between his deeds and other deeds. Now, he's going to take that one step further in verse 13 to help you to understand why people don't like you as believers. Look at verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Here's what's going on here. John calls his readers not to be amazed when the world hates them. See, it's almost the same thing. There's a comparison thing going on. You know, I've shared this story before with you because it's, it's, it makes the point all the time about, you know, Billy Graham being on a pro-am tour going and because he golfed and he was golfing with and this pro goes into the locker room and he's pitching a fit oh that Billy Graham and he's kicking and he's slamming his locker and another pro's there saying wow was what Billy must have been pretty rough on you what did he say and the guy paused and he said nothing Billy didn't say nothing it was just his presence. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, how many of you face that where, 
you know, we, Lori and I have faced it many times simply because people find out I'm a pastor and they'll quit talking to us. And we haven't said anything to them. I mean, literally, I'm like, I can remember being in Canada at the IGA and my neighbor next door, and when he found out I was a pastor, quit talking to us. So I'm, I'm in the line and he's in front of me and I said, hey, how you doing? And he didn't talk to me. And the only time I ever t- interacted with him was as a neighbor. And he was just so friendly until the one day he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Never talked to us again ever, ever. So what happened? He must have had some bad experience, right? Maybe. Or he just had an attitude towards what? Christians or God. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is what John's wanting you to understand, the comparison thing. The source of hatred. And he brings it down to our level in verse 13 and says, well, don't be amazed if the world hates you. Hey, let me, let me just stop for a moment. I, right now, this is a good place to stop for a moment. I, I, I get really bothered by the way Christians are acting today. What do you mean? Because we get so freaked out about, you know, this, this court decision says this, or, or this school district says this guy can't pray, or, or and we, when we get all out of whack, like it should be something different, and I'm looking at him saying, have you read your Bible lately? Have you read your Bible? What does Jesus and the apostles say is going to be there for you if you're a believer? Persecution. And John says it right here. Don't be amazed. And But what are we doing? I don't understand why this is happening. You name the name of Jesus as your Savior. That's why it's happening. Do you know what I mean? So... John calls his brother, not to be amazed that he hates him. So he goes on now. He's going to talk about the evidence of our lives. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now here's what he's saying. He states that we know we have experienced salvation because we love each other. This is an evidence. You want to know how you, you know, especially with immature Christians, Oftentimes it's a wrestling with assurance because we, we look at the sin in our lives, well, maybe we're not saved, and so we, we keep going to the altar, or we keep praying and asking God to save us because we're struggling with our sin. So assurance is always a big issue with new Christians. Everybody understand that? Here, John is telling you an evidence of assurance in your life. He's telling you and I, here's how you can be sure that you are a follower of Jesus Christ that you're saved. What is it? That you love the brothers. That you love the, that you love the brothers. That you love each other. That's an evidence. That is an evidence of your salvation is that you love each other in spite of each other. Now, you want to write that down? In spite of each other. Because I'll be honest with you, where some of us are not lovable. Do you know what I mean? What do you mean by that, George? Well, a lot of us are rough around the edges, aren't we? Our social skills are lacking. 
And so sometimes we maybe say things or do things or our personalities are such that we just do the wrong stuff and we will rub you wrong and we will do you wrong and we will torque you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the nature of who we are. But you say, well, how am I supposed to love somebody then? Well, the evidence that you're saved and that the Holy Spirit lives within you is that you can. Well, you say, well, it's impossible. You're right, it's impossible in your own strength. But guess who gives you the ability to do it? Holy Spirit, Christ does. Do you know what I mean? Because we're not perfect. If you expect perfection from others in church and their actions towards you, you are greatly deceived. Because nobody's going to be perfect. And here's the bottom line. You're not perfect either. Does everybody understand that? So the bottom line is, okay, because here's what he's saying here. Here's the issue. He who does not love his brother remains spiritually dead. He who does not love his brother remains spiritually dead. So what am I talking about? Remember I told you I, I get amazed all the time? Like I remember, it's, it's probably been, Rory and I have been married 20 years ago, so this is probably 19 years ago. I was asked to speak in a church over in Indiana County, little church. And I'm amazed at this because this has happened, I have seen this not just one time now, but maybe at least five or, five or more times now where this kind of thing happens, where, where after we're done and people are all like, I'm like, what's going on? And they said, oh, so-and-so's here today. Oh, wow, is that great? Wow, you've been praying for them? Well, they haven't been here in ten years. Why? Well, her husband got upset with another guy in the church, and they left the church. He's not here today. She is. Well, who did they get upset with? So-and-so, he died five years ago. Okay, wait a minute now. If you're carrying a grudge for ten years against the brethren, this is what he's talking about. Because we're not talking about, let me just stop, we've got to qualify it. We're not talking about that you got mad at somebody and you're upset for a week until you get things worked out. Okay? We're not talking about that. But we're talking about people holding long-term hatred, grudges and stuff. There's a question. If you're holding a grudge for ten years... There's a question about whether or not you're saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about here. Okay? You say, what do you mean you're just talking about something like that versus something short term? Well, we're going to see it here in a moment because John's setting the bar pretty high as far as what we've got to reach here. Does everybody recognize that? Everybody acknowledge that because you're looking at that and saying, well, that's great teaching, George, but that's virtually impossible to reach. How many of you agree with that? That's just great teaching, but man, you, you, are you, that, the bar's pretty hard there. You're talking about the elite being able to do that. Okay? Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Okay? We're going to talk about that in a moment because John recognizes that he's setting the bar, bar pretty high. Okay? He's, he's always recognized. Have you noticed that he's, he does that in his letter here? where he's going to come back and affirm you. Well, we're going to come back and affirm you here in a moment, okay? Look with me. Here's the reality. Verse 15. John states 
that the one who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Harsh term. Why does he use that harsh term? Because Jesus used it. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. Listen to what Jesus said. You have heard that it is said of old that you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, let me just stop for a minute. He's not talking about if you call somebody a fool. The, the issue is how you use the word. It's the manner in which you use it. It comes out of your hatred. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Your hatred. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, so here's what he's doing. He reminds them that no murderer has eternal life. So again, he's reinforcing there. Reinforcing that issue about why you got to love. Because if you don't love, that's maybe reflecting something in your life. Now, you're, the rest of you here is like, man, okay, the bar's still high, George. Whoa, I don't know that that's possible. Okay, well, let's go on. Look at the end, verse 16 through 18. He's going to talk about love expressed. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Okay, let's talk about it here. First of all, the exhortation. Jesus' sacrifice for believers is how we understand love. If you understand what love really is, you just need to look at the life of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for you and I. That's what love is. That's what John is saying here. By his sacrifice for you and I, do we understand love. Okay? He goes on then, because of this, because of Jesus' example, because that's what the nature of love is, because of this, we ought to lay down our lives for other believers. You've got to be willing to give of yourself for someone else. That's what love is. You've got to be willing to sacrifice of yourself for others. It's more than just lip service. It's really doing something. And here's what he says. He's going to make it even more practical now. He's going to give us an example. He says, if you have but do not help the needy, you should question your spirituality. If you have the world's goods, whatever that might be, if you have the resources and you see another brother in need and you don't do something to help them, John is saying you should question your spirituality. You should question whether or not the love of God abides in your life. You say, well, that's, that's nice for John to say that, but is that anywhere else in the Bible? James, remember what James said? You walk by someone, you see them poor and destitute, naked in the street, and you don't help them, and you just say to them, bless you. That's meaningless. That's meaningless spirituality. John is more blunt than James. I can't believe anybody's more blunt than James, because James is pretty blunt in his letter. John is more blunt. He, he, he says, you know what, the love of God's not abiding in you. 
If you're able to help someone. But here's the excuses we make. Well, I wonder why they're in that situation. If they hadn't have done that, they just made a better decision there. If they just handled their money better, think about the excuses that we make. You notice he never, they never talk about the excuses in the Bible. They just say, are you helping or not? Do you know what I mean? Are you helping or not? Because here's the reality. Why, why, do, why do you think the Bible never talks about the excuses? It just brings it down to are you helping or not? Why do you think the Bible does that? Anybody have a clue? What's that? Well, it's no excuse for us not to doing that, but I heard somebody else say something. It's, yeah, it's not our because you're right, Tina. Let's go a little bit beyond, but it's not our place to judge. Here's what it says. Because the reality is, is that all of us are lacking. Do you know what I'm saying? What were you going to say, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I've heard, okay, that's true. Okay. But let's say, well, first of all, let's let's make a presumption here. Does there, does, do accidents happen? Do misfortunes fall on people? If I have the means to help someone, I need to, with wisdom, help them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we can always find a reason not to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Really, for us, we need to have an attitude where we're ready to minister to people and to love them. But specifically, what John's talking about in this passage is you loving your brother. Now, what is a brother? Another believer. It's talking about you being there for others within the, the family of God. Now, if, and so really what it's talking about is we taking care of our own. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of you understand that because in this area we're especially very clan-oriented. We, we interact in our families a lot. And, and if somebody's in need of your family, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to help them. You're going to take care of them. What, what John's, really what we're talking about here is expanding that circle of who you're going to care to include your believing family. Do you understand what I'm saying? The family of believers as well. And you can't, if you've got the means to help your brother and you don't, you got to question your spirituality. That's what he's talking about here. Yes. No, I don't. Yeah, he isn't always talking. Because notice what he says. The word he uses there, if you look at the text, if you have the world's, he doesn't use the term money. He uses the term goods. He's talking about resources. If you have the resources to help someone, now that's a pretty broad term, because. Maybe it's not money that you could give them. Maybe it's a sack of potatoes. Or we would even expand it upon maybe it's an ability. Loving the brothers. Okay, let's go on. Because we could, we could spend a whole lot of time here. here. Here's the reality. Verse 18. Here's, here's what he's telling us to do here. John calls his readers to express love in action, not just with words. Because everybody knows what? Talk is what? Talk is cheap. I love you. 
Hope you get through your problem, but I love you. Here's another Christian way. Hope you get through your problem. I'll be praying for you. You know? I remember, I mean, it's a story, it's an old story of a deacon who, uh, you know, says, Lord, he's praying at prayer meeting, Lord, stretch out your hand and touch the world. He prayed that every Wednesday at prayer meeting. Then one day, he gets up and he gets ready to say it again, Lord. And he paused for the longest time. He didn't say anything more. He was quiet. And in fact, it, it was so long of the pause, everybody was kind of like, is there something wrong here? And finally somebody says, hey, hey brother so-and-so, are you okay? And he said, no. Something wrong was wrong. I realized I'm the hand. You know, here we pray, Lord, stretch out your hand. We're the hand. Do you know what I'm saying? So we like to pray. Sometimes we've got to do more than just pray. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we've got to do more than just pray. Okay, now, you say, okay, but you're setting the bar high, George. I can't reach it. You said there was going to be an encouragement. All right, let's look at verses 19 through 24. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep, excuse me, we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him. And he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit who he has given us. Okay, let's look at a couple things here. First of all, the assurance of love. Love assures the believer of his salvation. So again, Love, love expressed, love in action, assures a believer of his salvation. Okay? Love expressed, assures a believer of his salvation. Now, you, you might be hearing you saying, okay, well, man, I really struggle loving people. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you how to pray. Here's how you pray. Because for some of us, love does not come naturally. Do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? Love does not come, because some of that may have to do with the personality of your family. So if you come from a family where you're not very loving, but then you've got other families and they're really mushy, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, so sometimes you maybe need to pray and ask God to help you to love. And, and here's how you pray. Lord, fill me with your love. Fill me with your love so that I can love other people. Express your love through me because I don't know how. Do you know what I mean? So because love assures a believer of his salvation. So maybe you need to be praying that. Okay, if we feel inadequate, know that God is greater and knows all things. Here's the, here's the encouragement. Okay, the bar's set pretty high. So now... 
Here's what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. If your conscience hurts, if your heart is guilty, what does that mean? If what, after I've set this bar high, you're looking at your life and you're saying, I'm not measuring up. I'm not doing what you're asking me to do, Apostle John. I'm not doing what Jesus has commanded me to do. My conscience is hurting. My conscience is pricked. I am guilty before you. Here's the encouragement that he gives you. God is greater than your heart. And he knows all things. What does he know? He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. That's the encouragement. Isn't that an encouragement? Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows that you're not going to make the standard. You're not going to make the standard. See, that's the encouragement to us. Because it would be real easy to look at this and say, well, I must not be saved. Because I had an attitude last week towards my wife. We're okay now. If we feel inadequate we, and know that God is greater and knows all things. Okay, here's the other thing he tells us. We can approach God with confidence if our conscience is clear. We know that practically, don't you? If you sin, what's the last thing you want to do? Talk to God. Pray. But if we have a clean conscience that we're doing what he's calling us to do, loving each other, we can approach God with that confidence. Here's the other thing. We can be confident that God will answer our prayers. Now, a lot of times this passage, a parallel passage here is John 15:7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. A lot of people say, well, I pr- I'm trusting in that and he didn't give me what I wanted. Look, if you're walking with him and you're walking in obedience, it's going to change the way that you pray. And you're going to ask things that are in accordance with your relationship with him. And he's going to provide that answer. And this is what John is saying here. We can have confidence. If we, if, if we have a clean conscience because we're being obedient, we know that God's going to answer our prayers. Okay, so let's go on then. This confidence rests, John tells us, in our obedience. It's because I'm being obedient to him, and specifically what's he talking about, the issue here? Loving each other. I can have confidence. Now we know Psalm 66, verse 18 says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. What's it say? If there's sin in my life, and I'm regarding iniquity in my heart, He's not going to hear me. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said? If you go to the altar to make an offering, and you know that your brother has something against you, what are you to do? You're to leave your offering and go make it right with him. Then go back and what? Make your offering. Okay? Now, here's a twofold commandment. Verse 23. The believer is called to believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So this is where we got to be obedient. Here's two specific things he's calling us to be obedient in. Number one, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? Here's the second thing. The believer is called to love one another, which is his commandment. Whose commandment? Jesus' commandment. That's reality. I'm called to love you. Why? Jesus told me to. I've got to be obedient to that. Okay? Now, 
Here's what he's going to say, what my obedience does. Number one, obedience evidences our relationship with him. It's going to show that I have a relationship with him. In fact, isn't that what Jesus says? By this shall they know that you are my disciples, what? That you love one another. Jesus said that. How do we tell the world that we're followers of Jesus Christ? Loving each other. That's how we know we're followers of Jesus. Here's what it says. The Holy Spirit assures us of our relationship with him. It's not just our obedience that shows that we are followers of Jesus. It is what? The Holy Spirit within you communicating to you you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Okay. Okay. 